is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Laura. Uh, for those young people that, that may not remember, under the back table there are lap desks that have coloring books and crayons. So on this day that we all remain together and worship as a larger community, please feel free to go back and grab uh, one of those kind of busy boxes. We're going to spend the next several weeks studying from the book of James. We're going to do kind of a deep dive into each chapter. James is a short book in the New Testament, right after Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is what we read from last week. I love James. James is my kind of teacher. He's a very plain-spoken, rubber-meets-the-road. This is what it's all about. Um, and so I, I love how James speaks to Christians on how they should allow their faith to mark their lives and shape how they live out those lives. James knew that we as Christians would be challenged as we lived scattered throughout the world and that through the years there would be times that we would not have large faith communities around us. And so he gave us this word that we may be reminded of how we are to live out our lives. James is writing kind of a, a how-to guide, more like the rules of the road that we heard last week. There's a story. I have a favorite Bible. It was actually my father-in-law's Bible. It's the Max Licato Life Application Bible. Um, it's an NIV translation, but it has little stories from Max throughout it. Max is another one of my favorites. Um, but he shares a story at the introduction to the book of James. That is a great introduction for how James, James believed and taught. Max writes that St. Francis of Assisi once invited a student of his, an apprentice, to go with him to a nearby village to preach. The student jumped at the chance to hear his teacher preach a sermon. When they arrived in the village, St. Francis began to visit with the people. He stopped to talk to the butcher, and next he stopped at the cobbler's shop. Then a short walk to the home of a recently widowed woman. Then a stop at the school. And this went on all throughout the day. And after some time, St. Francis said to his disciple, his student, okay, it's time to head back to the abbey. And the young monk was very confused. He said, but we came here to preach. You haven't preached a sermon. Haven't we? Questioned the elder. People have watched us, listened to us, responded to us. Every word we have spoken, every deed we have done has been a sermon. We have preached all day. This story reflects James' philosophy for life. James was more interested in the way our lives spoke about Jesus and pointed to the gospel than the content of any sermon we could write or preach. James put much emphasis on the fact that our faith and our works or our deeds, the way that we live our lives, go hand in hand. In the second chapter of James, he states, For the body without the spirit is dead. Faith without works is dead also. Our beliefs fall short if they are not followed by action. Or worse, we appear as if hypocrites if we don't walk what we talk. But that's chapter two. That's next week. Spoiler alert. I would encourage you as we begin this deep dive into the book of James that you take some time this month and read through the text. It's short. 
only five chapters. It probably would take you a half an hour to read. So read the entire thing or take a chapter each week and read through it as we study. Either way, I believe that much of the text will be very impactful for you. The book of James is about being wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus. We began our study this morning as Laura read to us from chapter 1, verses 19 through 25, and James wastes no time in jumping in and giving us very important life lessons. See, James was a people watcher. How many of you are people watchers? I love watching people. People fascinate me. I, am, I hasten to admit to you that I love reality TV because it's a glimpse into people's lives, and sometimes it's a train wreck. But it's a glimpse into people's lives. I love to watch people. Uh, David will go places, and I rarely know what's going on at the actual event we're there to see because I'm watching what the person, you know, two rows down and to the right is doing. And David will, you know, there was just a car wreck. Did you not see in this race we're watching the wreck? And I'm like, no, but did you see that guy down there with the purple hair? That's me. So James, like me, was a people watcher and observer of life. He noticed the ways that people lived. He noticed small acts of kindness, random acts of generosity. He noticed the way that we speak to others. James believed our actions were the building blocks on which our communities rested. In the opening words of our reading today, James very bluntly and directly tells us that we must be quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to anger. Someone once said, you have two ears and one mouth, so you can listen twice as much as you talk. I don't know how you're doing at living that out, but I talk a lot. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Does that describe you? Look back on the week that you just lived, the past seven days. Were you quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? We're not often comfortable with quiet. We like to fill our lives with noise. As I slow my speech, and leave periods of silence, people get uncomfortable. I notice that I lean into silence in anticipation of what will come next. I'm like, and as if trying to force the next interaction. If I'm in a quiet space, I often fill the silence with noise of some time. Uh, of some kind, I use music a lot, but I also usually have a TV on that I can rarely tell you what's happening on it. I'm not really paying attention, but it fills the space with sound. We don't like quiet. At least most of us don't. In our conversations, we often don't let quiet moments pass where we process what's been said. We're often ready to reply, to rebut, to have ourselves heard. Even in our electronic 
conversations. I see this a lot in younger people, but I have to admit that I'm guilty of this myself. You know when you send a text to someone and it says that they read it? Is this just me? And you're like, okay, you read it. This happens. uh, I've had entire arguments with my husband in the minutes following when I know he's read a text message. He has no clue. One minute, five minutes, 12 minutes. I am not slow to anger in that time. I'm like, hello? I know you read it. It says you read it. I'm waiting for the bubbles to appear to tell me that you're typing something back to me. Now I'm imagining what he's thinking, what he could have said or what I should have said and why he didn't respond. And before you know it, I have myself all worked up in this lather of, what is going on here? And then he comes back and says, oh, sorry, I had to let the dog out. And then I say, that's okay. (laughs) Because I've gotten myself all stressed out and mad over something that never happened because I filled the silence with my own narrative. I was like, oh, he's not going to respond. That's okay. You just wait till he says something to me. That's ridiculous, people. He has no idea because we're quick, right? We're quick. When are we intentionally, though, quick to listen and slow to speak? How often are we too quick to speak to others? There are times that the sentence barely stops on the lips of the other person when we're telling them, rebutting, talking. Here's what I have to say. Have you been quick to listen then? If you already know, if you're so poised and ready, this is a funny example of this, but last week at Vacation Bible Experience, we played Family Feud, and the question was, Besides chicken, name a bird people like to eat. And the one, I barely got the question out, and the woman buzzed in and said, chicken. And I was like, I said, I'm going to repeat the question. And she knew immediately. She said, you said besides chicken, didn't you? We're too quick. We're so intent on answering. We're too quick. How often are we too quick to speak to others? How often are we too quick to speak to ourselves? I get on Dominic about this all the time. I don't know where he went. Well, good, he's not here. He'll make a mistake. Oh, I'm so stupid. Have you done this? Or say something? Well, that was a stupid thing to say. Can't believe I said that. Could have said this. I should have said this. Now they all think that I'm whatever. We're filling in that silence with the narrative in our mind that we create. There's power in how we speak to others. There's even more power in how we speak to ourselves. Here's here's another thought. When have we been quick to speak in our prayer time? Because there is no silence more deafening than when you're waiting for God to speak. And God doesn't speak on our time. How have we allowed space for God to speak into the silence of our prayer time Or have we filled our prayer time with endless chatter to God? A healthy amen at the end, and then we move on and manage our day. 
So why is this important? Why does James instruct us so directly? Why does he say, Christian, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Shouldn't we already know this? Shouldn't they have known this? This book was written 50 years after Jesus died. 50 years after Christ walked the earth. And he's saying, Christians, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. The Christian community has never been, nor will it ever be, immune to disagreement. If you've hung around a church long enough, you've seen an argument or a disagreement, and usually it's over something fairly trivial. Who moved my whatever? Who touched my, who sat in my pew? Amen? Who did this? Who did that? And people come to me frustrated and say, Pastor, this is the church. And I say, amen. This is the church, full of people. And wherever people are, brokenness will follow. This was not God's intention for the church, but God gave us free will, and so we live in the aftermath. So everywhere people go, brokenness follows. But... The difference does not lie in whether or not there's a disagreement in the church. The the difference lies in what do we do when there's a disagreement in the church. If you have sat with me for very long, I've said, we can figure out anything if we just talk about it. And I am happy to say that the churches that I pastor have very little conflict. Because we can just talk about it. Because most of the time, your anger is not over that someone moved your whatever. It's over something completely different, some hurt, and we talk about it, and it's okay. That's the difference in conflict in the church, is how we deal with it. So when people come and say, Pastor, there shouldn't be fighting in the church, I say, no, there shouldn't be endless fighting in the church. We can have a disagreement, and it can be okay, and we can work through it and be stronger for how we handle it. The key to diffusing and settling arguments is to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But James knew from his observations of humanity, and you and I know from our own lives, that we often don't practice this. It's not often how we live. Rarely are we quick to hear and slow to speak and slower to anger. Rarely do we follow the golden rules when it comes to emotion-filled circumstances. Brene Brown talks about how when it comes to emotion-filled moments, we take our rational brain and tie them up and put them in the trunk, and we let emotions drive the vehicle. And we run over whoever stands in front of us. Probably just preaching to myself again. The golden rule says that we should treat others as we want to be treated. And the golden rule can yield a golden result. See, we want the golden result. But in order to get that, we need to practice the golden rule. In his book, The Peacemaker, Ken Sand writes that the golden result is a result of practicing the golden rule. How we treat others will usually lead to how they treat us. If we blame others for a problem, usually they'll dig in and blame us. But if we genuinely say, I was wrong, 
It's amazing how often the response will be, well, I, it was partly my fault too. I could have done better. Sand writes, I've seen this result in hundreds of cases over the past 21 years. Whether the dispute involves a personal quarrel, divorce, lawsuit, or church division, people gen generally, can't talk, generally treat one another as they're being treated. When one person attacks and accuses, often the other does. He said, uh, actually, my husband introduced me to TikTok. Does anybody watch TikToks? If you don't, do not put TikTok on your phone because you'll waste more time than you'll ever, ever imagine. But, so I watch TikTok because there's a lot of cute dog videos. But there was a woman who said that she sees this lived out in life. That, do you ever accidentally cut somebody off in traffic and then they come at you, right? They're waving at you with not their whole hand. They're waving at you, they're yelling at you. And if you say, oh, I'm so sorry, all of a sudden, oh, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Often their demeanor will change the minute that you acknowledge like, oops, my bad. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Like often is met with like. So you can diffuse a situation with the golden rule. Now, does it always happen? No. But should we continue to live it out in our Christian lives? Yes. And interestingly enough, uh, Sand writes in his book, when God moves one person to start getting the log out of his or her own eye, often the other side does the same. When God moves in one person to acknowledge what they bring to a conflict, often the other person does likewise. Now, I want you to hear that again. When God moves the other person to get the log out of their eye, not when we tell them about the log in their eye. We run around like a bunch of lumberjacks just hacking at other people's logs in their eyes and ignoring our own. When God moves someone to remove the log from their eye, often we will do the same. The golden result occurs most often with people who understand and cherish the gospel. I love that phrase, cherish the gospel. When we admit that our own sins are so serious, my own personal sins were so serious that Jesus had to die for them and for me. And when I remember that I am forgiven for all of my own wrongs, then I can let go of my illusion of self-righteousness. And I can freely admit my failures. And I can give grace to myself and grace to others because I know that Jesus fought for my freedom. When we cherish the gospel, think of something you cherish. When we protect it, when it is beloved, when we hold it and keep it in safety. When we cherish the gospel, we experience and understanding the wonderful gift of God's forgiveness. And the golden result occurs most often with people who cherish the gospel. When we recall that we are part of something bigger than ourselves and we put our own self-righteous rightness aside, 
we will more often practice the golden rule and get the golden result. Remember, Paul wrote about long-suffering. You know what that means? It means that we put up with each other and we give grace upon grace because it has been heaped upon us. Heaped upon us. And so how can we not extend that grace that has been showered upon us to others? How can we be so quick to speak and quick to accuse and quick to judge when we have been found guilty our own selves, but Christ came from the heavens to hang on the cross to offer us salvation and grace? That doesn't make us better. That makes us saved and channels for God's grace. When we can remember that Jesus came and sacrificed his own life for my sin and your sin and your sin and your sin, for all of our sin, then we will work at cherishing that gift. And we will do our utmost best to be quick to listen, even to our enemies. We will be slow to speak. We will pray to God to bridle our tongues. That we don't speak swiftly and that our words don't slice right through the heart of another. And we will exercise the patience and the Christian maturity that it takes to be slow to anger. We need to do that. Jesus earned that. Amen.